Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. Well, well, yes, John Levi. Um, he spent some quality time uh, with us yesterday at the house, and um, um, I did a little video of him, and um, so thankful this morning that I thought about that when I was having a hard time entertaining him. He's watched the same video about 28 times so far, and uh, so... <laughs> Hopefully, if I can keep my remarks short enough, uh, the video will, um, will suffice for the whole service. Um, am I ringing a little bit? Yes, no? Okay. So, thank you for being here. Um, and, man, some special guests here this morning. I have uh, friends of mine here from Doors of Hope. And then, who knew? I have a brother and a sister-in-law who showed up here this morning. So thank you so much all the way from down in Nash, Vegas. Um, so uh, thank you for being here today. Um, and, and everyone, thank you. Uh, it's fall break, right? Uh, everywhere you go, I, I've just noticed, you know, back in the day, I guess, um, you know, I'm so old that we really didn't have fall break. You went to school every day of your whole life until, <laughs> until, you know, maybe uh, you might get a day off uh, Thanksgiving and then, you know, you get some time off at Christmas and uh, that's it. So fall break. But anyway, I'm thankful for fall break. It's been uh, a pleasure this week to be able to get from point A to point B a whole lot faster than you normally do when school is in session. So um, the other day on one of those uh, fast commutes getting to work on time, for a change, um, saw this uh, this next slide. This uh, this site. Um, I have a feeling. Mom may have, may or may not have left two little boys to their own devices. Anyway, nobody was wearing a helmet, um, and uh, they were they were living their best life. Uh, uh, ride, dude riding on the pegs. So I, I promise you, you know, hands-free Tennessee. I snapped a picture and went on. But I, there, was, there was more to the story because what happened um, after, just a moment later, the little dude on the back, you know, the little brother on the back, he's always going to give you grief, right? So he's riding on the pegs and he's hanging on for dear life. And then all of a sudden he got brave and he was, he was doing one hand and he was going, woohoo! And dude on the front was beginning to shiver a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I, in my rear view mirror, I saw dude had both of his hands in the air. He was, and then of all things, he was getting his jam on a little bit. And I don't have to tell you what happened next. It was not a good day. So it may have truly been a fall break. I'm not sure, but somebody got hurt in that collision. But, um, you know, it made me think, uh, 
learning to ride a motorcycle, which I don't know how to drive one, but I do sit on the back sometimes. Um, one of the first things I had to learn is you can't get your jam on on the back of that motorcycle. It's not, um, it's not going to be a good day for the guy who's trying to hold the bike up and you up and everybody else. Uh, next slide is uh, just, you know, there's my best life right there. That's where I like to be. But anyway, um, it made me think, even after I learned that you got to be still on the back of there, you can't, you know, can't jam to the music and all that. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help it. I, I won't tell this. I'm probably getting in trouble, but I've been thrown off the back of that bike a few times, just so you know. Um, it's been, uh, it, it, it has happened, and, uh, and still I get on it. I, but um, a one particular time just occurred to me this morning. We had decided to go um, up to East Tennessee. I think we were going to Biltmore. And which is a great destination, great place to be. Fall of the year, beautiful. Um, uh, did we go like to, yeah, but did we go to like Cumberland Gap or something like that? Was that the, some, something like, anyway. We had, to, we had made arrangements to stay at the campground in the DS's cabin. Um, cheap people that we are, um, we saved all our money so we could go to the Biltmore and stayed in the DS's cabin at the campground the first night. That's what we were going to do. Pulled in there late at night, dark as all get out, and um, <clears throat> what had happened was um, the guy who, who sits on the front there, um, he put that kickstand down where he assumed the pavement was, and it was dark, and there wasn't pavement there. So the next thing that happened was uh, the bike turned over, and I rolled off the back, clear down the hill to the, to, the, to the front. And I was laughing so hard I could not get up. It was just, it gave a whole new meaning to stop, drop, and roll, right? Um, he stopped, uh, the bike dropped, and I rolled. And so there was that. But anyway, that, that has nothing to do with it. But anyway, I thought this morning I was thinking about, or as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about... Um, Sometimes the ride of your life does not look like what you envisioned, right? Um, certainly may end differently than you had anticipated that it was is going to end. Harley Davidson, I think it's a Harley Davidson slogan, but anyway, I've heard it a lot. Um, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Have you ever heard that? Well, that's good to know because you never know if you're ever going to even get to your destination. You may it may just be about the bragging rights in heaven when you can tell about your journey, but the passage we're going to look at today, I'm going to get to that. The disciples of Jesus volunteered for a ride that gave them something to talk about for the rest of their lives. So again, if you have your uh, Bible with you, have your smartphone, you can check into Matthew chapter 8, and uh, then that way you can always um, mess around on Facebook while the rest of the message is going on, and, and, it'll, and we'll get through this. So we're going to be at Matthew chapter 8, where we hung out for a bit last week, and then we're going to, today we're going to be beginning at verse 23. So, but let's, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, it is such an amazing adventure, um, living in fellowship with you. Thank you for those that you have brought around us to, um, to share the journey with. Thank you for the people at Real Life Community Church of the Nazarene. Thank you so much um, for all that has gone into 
bringing us to this point today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for that beautiful worship song that reminded us that all of nature, all of nature respects you and is in submission to your authority. And it reminded us that if all of nature should do that, then so will I. So thank you for the reminder. Help us today to remember who it is that we stand in front of. In the name of Jesus, we ask your help and your blessing today as we look into your word. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. So the story's um, is beautiful. Let's just look at it together about the first four or five verses. 23, now when he, had, when he, and that's Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And I just got to point this out to you. I love my old New King James Version. In my Bible, which you can't see, but there's an arrow. Right across from this verse that says, where he says little faith, right across the page is those words from last week. Great faith. Great faith and little faith. How about that? Right across the page. The centurion that had the great faith. And then here's the disciples this week with the little faith. But anyway, moving along. Jesus arose from his nap and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the seas obey him? So this passage of scripture, right after what we studied last week, um, the centurion who had the great faith that made Jesus marvel, um, and then right then on down the page a bit, Peter's mother-in-law is healed. Um, Peter evidently loved his mother-in-law, which, I mean, I guess it happens sometimes, um, but... Um, the Bible's full of miracles, right? <laughs> uh, but um, his, his mother-in-law was quite ill, and Jesus came into that room and healed her. And then that evening, as they were kind of chilling and enjoying uh, fellowship, a lot of sick people started coming because Jesus was able to heal really sick people, and there were a lot of people that came, and there were demon-possessed people that came, and he spoke a word and actually dispossessed those demons from those people's lives that, that were demon-possessed. And so right after that, then there's recorded a little bit of uh, conversation with um, Jesus talking to a couple of people who were trying to make up their mind if following him was a good idea or not. So always good to ask the questions. Um, so that was that. Um, to say it had been a long day, if all that happened in one day, that's an exhausting day. And it would have been an understatement to say that the disciples were probably exhausted. Jesus was probably very tired. I can imagine, in my sanctified imagination, I can imagine that when Jesus said, hey, let's go get, let's go get in the boat and just take a ride across the lake. I am, am imagining that nobody had to be talked into that. There's just something about being on the water in there. Let's just... It's nice. Let's just relax for a minute. 
Enjoy being on the water. Does anybody else enjoy being on the water? Yeah, thank you. See, I don't know how to swim, but I still enjoy being on the water, not under the water, but on, uh, on the water. Yeah. Nice, cool, calm breeze taking place. So Jesus was so relaxed in that moment that you know the story. He stretched out and went to sleep. That's, that's being pretty relaxed. Just something about being on the water. So, so peaceful, so restful. This particular body of water, though, is interesting, and I, I found a little slide to illustrate this. I thought it was pretty cool. According to what I've read, this, um, this body of water is actually a lake, not a terribly big lake, not as big as Percy Priest Lake, about six miles wide and about 14 miles long, um, surrounded on all sides by mountains. Uh, interesting terrain there. Um, one gorge, one gorge in those mountains, but other than that, it kind of just sets in a bowl, which is nice, right? Really nice, really nice, until it wasn't. Kind of like riding a motorcycle was nice until you get thrown off the back. But on this ride, on this particular day, without any warning whatsoever, the unthinkable happened. Not a small gust of wind, guys. Not something that just tips your tea over. Not a gale that threatens to throw, blow your turban in the water. Not anything like that. This is a great tempest. Um, one version says it was a fierce storm, a furious storm. ESV says a great storm that swamped the boat with water. A storm of such intensity that water was covering the boat. That wind cutting through that gorge has nowhere to go, so it just stirs that water like the latte machine at Starbucks. It just stirs. Now, the disciples, of course, who were in the boat, many of them were fishermen, right? So they knew this body of water. They knew that storms were characteristic of this body of water. But according to scholars, there was nothing characteristic about this particular storm. The word that's used here to describe this storm is seismos, S-E-I-S-M-O-S. The origin of the word seismograph, the instrument that measures what? Earthquakes. It's the same word that's used in Matthew 27, the word that when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, there was a horrible earthquake. The veil in the temple tore in half, the graves were open, people came out of the graves, and a centurion confessed that was standing at the foot of the cross, surely this was the Son of God. So same scenario was happening here. Most likely an undersea earthquake. Do you remember where you were on December 26th of 04? I remember where I was. I was on my way to church at Real Life uh, when we were down at Maple Leaf Village. News on the radio, I was listening to my, getting my head uh, full of good Christian music and a news story pops in saying that there has been an undersea earthquake off the Indian Ocean, 100 foot waves, and they didn't even know at that point in time how cataclysmic that thing was gonna be. 230,000 people lost their lives in that event. That's a seismos. 
So this storm was a big deal, an extraordinary storm, no doubt about it. And the disciples in the boat knew they were in some extraordinary trouble. Verse 25, then the disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're all going to die. We've all been there before, haven't we? We assume we see Jesus get on the boat. It's going to be good times. Or at least it's going to be safe times. Nothing scary going to happen if Jesus is in the boat, right? His eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Every hair in my head numbered. All of that, right? Hmm. Verse 26, but he said to them, why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. One, uh, in, in one of the other synoptics, his words are quoted as saying, why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? And that, those four words have rattled me several occasions in my life. But anyway, in this occasion, Jesus got up from his nap and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. The men marveled. I think so. That must be an understatement. Who can this be that can stop a seismos in its tracks? If someone had been able to step up and stop that tsunami in 04. Remarkable. That would have been a news story. You remember the last, last week when we talked about this passage, this centurion with the great faith truly believed that Jesus could heal his servant just by saying a word. Remember, he said, you don't have to bother coming to my house. <clears throat> I believe if you'll just say the word, he'll be healed. And guess what? He was right. In verse 16, the, the passage over there, it talks about that big healing service that happened there in Peter's house, all those people coming to be healed. It says that Jesus healed the demon-possessed, cast out those spirits with a word, just a word from him. And in this instance, Jesus speaks a strong word and rebukes that wind and the tsunami that threatened the lives of the disciples and probably hundreds and thousands of other people <clears throat> stopped in its tracks. <clears throat> that, my friend, is extraordinary power. That's strong language. And we're going to see that again in a minute. The other two Gospels record this event starting out by Jesus saying, let's go to the other side. Just as a sidebar, if you're in the boat with Jesus and he says, Let's go to the other side. What's going to happen? You're going to the other side. You're going. Somehow, though, in our lives, when the wind is blowing and howling and everything's turning upside down and we are feared, fearful for our lives, it's almost easier to believe that we're going to become a statistic than it is to believe that we're actually going to get through this. Can I get a witness? Yeah, so, so much. Clearly, though, in this instance, Jesus is on a mission. He is on a mission. And the others in the boat probably were not aware of his mission, but he is on his way to a satanic stronghold. P 
possibly if the disciples had known where they were going when he said, let's get in and go to the other side, they might have taken a rain check on that sunset cruise that evening. Yeah. So verse 28 says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the, the Gergesenes, fun word, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs. Mm, should tell you something. Exceedingly fierce so that no one should pass that way. So this area where they landed was a desolate, horrible God-forsaken place. If you look at a map, you see it as barren. It's dusty. It's lifeless. It almost looks like the surface of the moon, you know, tree here or there. But this is a place where no one in his right mind would just intentionally go. And in fact, there were a lot of people that were not in their right mind who lived on this, uh, in this area. Lots of chaos, lots of pagans, lots of idols, lots of idol worship, Ignorance, fear, darkness, not a good place to live. Probably not even a good place to visit. In fact, there are some scholars who believe that Jesus was referring to that place when in that scripture where he's talking about the prodigal son going to the far country to live his best life being a pig farmer. Some people believe that Jesus had this barren place in mind when he talked about the far country, a place where... Nobody really wants to go. But Jesus was going there, and he was going there on purpose. It wasn't a mistake. They didn't get blown off course. He went there on purpose. Soon as they landed the boat, two wild demon-possessed men approach. And I can almost guarantee you they didn't walk up and shake hands or give him a hug or some knuckles or whatever. They, were, they came after him, exceedingly fierce, so incredibly sick in the head, and wild that they couldn't even live in civilization. That's pretty sad. They had to live out in the countryside. They terrorized anybody who came that way. The other accounts say that people had locked these folk up many, many times. They had chained them with strong chains and the demons that possessed them were so powerful that they would break the chains. They could not be restrained. I can imagine the disciples are saying, okay, we survived a tsunami and you did that for this? Sometimes it just goes from bad to badder, right? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus spoke to one of the men and his name was Legion. And immediately the demons that lived in that man began to respond violently because they knew that a power stronger than they were stronger than anything that they had seen before was coming their way. They had encountered something stronger than they were. And it was their turn to be scared. Stories incredible, powerful demons begged Jesus to enter a huge herd of swine that were there. Makes me think of that passage from last week where the centurion, that strong guy with lots and lots of authority powerful, came to Jesus pleading with him. Interesting. Verse 32, he said to them, go, and they went. Oh, that echoes from that scripture last week too. Remember the centurion talked about the fact that he had authority over servants, uh, over 
men under him, and when he would say go, they would go. Jesus used the same terminology. He told them to go, and they went. One more time, Jesus has, says a powerful, authoritative word. The same word that he said to the storm. Things happen when Jesus speaks. Verse 32. So when they had come out, the demons, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down that gorge into the water and drowned. So picture the disciples at that point in time, or picture yourself being there at that time. So Jewish people were wigged out by pigs anyway, but here's 2,000 of them in stampede mode. Not a place I want to be. Verse 33, then those who kept them, so the pig farmers of the day, fled. They hit the high and dusty trail, ran, vamoose, scram, out of here. They went into the city and told everything, including, oh, the mere fact that, uh, yeah, and the demon-possessed guy, they got healed too. So these pig farmers were so scared that they were going to be in trouble because they lost the whole herd the miraculous thing that happened to those men when they were healed became a footnote to the story. That's kind of a sad commentary on humanity, isn't it? That we get more cranked up about the fact that we might lose some pigs than the fact that a person's entire life has been changed and given back to them. Wow. So verse 34, And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, a huge revival broke out, right? Well, that's not what my version says. My version says when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Interesting. I, I want to I'm gonna do a message someday about what were they so afraid of? What were they so afraid of? Some, I don't know. Why are people afraid to have a recovering drug addict work for them? Why are people afraid to have someone who's come out of jail to live in their neighborhood? I don't know. Maybe you just like things the way they are. It ain't great, but, you know, we're used to it, right? So I don't know what their fear was. That'll be an interesting study. So I just wonder, were the... Uh, were the disciples discouraged about that? That they were having to leave right then? Oh no, 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 I don't think so. I think they were perfectly fine to get back in the boat. More than happy to get back in the boat. Head anywhere, let's go anywhere. They were tickled to death when Jesus said, I think I'm gonna go home. Were they discouraged though that there were only two people out of that region of thousands of people who came to Christ that day? I don't know. The other Gospels report something really interesting here. When the townspeople came out to see what had happened, they saw this guy, and the scripture says they saw him clothed and in his right mind. Miraculous change had taken place. Of course, here again, the townspeople were scared to death. But that man, whose life had been radically changed, begged Jesus to let him go with him. Makes sense. 
He wanted desperately to follow Jesus. Mark 5, 19, kind of a mirror mirror passage to this, incredibly poignant, what Jesus says to him. He says to Legion, buddy, I'm sorry, but I'm going to need you to go home, tell your friends, tell them everything that's happened to you, tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. And that man departed, went back to the area known as Decapolis or 10 cities in that area and told everything that God had done for him. And everybody there that heard him marveled. Mm. There's really no telling how many people's lives were impacted by that man going back to his own people and telling his story. They didn't have any theological training. This demon-possessed man who had now become someone totally devoted to Christ became the first missionary sent to go tell his story. Interesting. I love the Mother Teresa quote. In fact, I carry a very beat-up copy of that right back here in the back of my Bible. Her advice is, stay where you are. I know some are called to go, but she said, if not, stay where you are. Find your own Calcutta. Find the sick and the suffering and the lonely right where you are. In your own home, in your own families, in your workplaces, and in your schools. Wherever you go, you will find people who are unwanted and unloved. Go to them. Good advice. I'll tuck that back. So the disciples there that day were still a little light in their loafers in terms of their faith, weren't they? The pagan centurion recognized and respected Jesus' power and authority, the one we talked about last week. Yeah, that's a great header on that slide, two to content layer. Yeah. Need to address that. The centurion, though, recognized Jesus' authority. The healed demoniacs uh, definitely respected Jesus' power and authority. The Gentile townspeople recognized and respected Jesus' authority to the point they asked him to leave. But what about the disciples? Well, they were learning. They were like us. They were still in learning mode. They were learning that if you get in the boat with Jesus, you may encounter some extraordinary storms. Anybody else? They didn't yet know at that point in time how many times they would also, though, experience extraordinary power. They would witness extraordinary miracles. But they were learning that they would see things that they would have never seen otherwise. So what are the takeaways from all this? Well, I thought of a few. Number one, Satan will do whatever he can. He will stir up storms in your life and my life, anything he can to scare you to death. But Jesus will do whatever he has to do to take care of what scares you to death and maybe even throw Satan to the pigs. Satan will do whatever he can to keep desperately sick people from being healed. But Jesus will do whatever he has to do to get to that person. 
Satan will do whatever he can to discourage you and to try to get you to give up on your faith. But Jesus will do whatever he has to do to get you to the other side. Satan will do whatever he can to keep the gospel from being spread. But Jesus will do whatever he has to do to make sure that everyone hears the good news. Yeah. Amen to that, right? So, what's in your wallet? <laughs> Great faith or little faith? The good news is this. Even if you have mustard seed size faith, incredible things can happen. Jesus created the wind and the water. He created all of it. And I can promise you, he can control it with the word. Praise God.